this one. But the number one question is, what is theology? That's how I begin, and that's how I'd like to begin with you. Well, you've given a, a decent answer, but I think there's more to say. Okay. It is the study of God. But what I've said here, and I'll explain, is that theology is the doctrine of living for God through Christ. Now, we can say theology is the study of God. By its name, theos, God, logos, study, or reason. Um, we can say that it is the, the study of God, but what this doctrine gets at is the nature of that study and, most importantly, the end of that study, the purpose, the result it ought to have in our life. So two things I want to show you from this definition. One is that theology is doctrine. You probably are well aware the word doctrine just means teaching, but it has a particular use for Christian teaching religious teaching. So if you want to open with me, I'm going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we have in 1, 2 Timothy and Titus instructions for the gospel minister, how he is to teach theology. We can summarize it. Chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant, that is insistent, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. This word doctrine just means teaching, and it's filled out by these commands, reprove, rebuke, exhort. This is what the minister is to do. He is to teach doctrine. And theology is a good summary of the doctrine that the minister is to teach. Remember how our Lord Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, said, teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That is what's before us. The Christian faith is a doctrine to be taught. In this sense, it's like other things to be taught. Mathematics, physics, etc., history, philosophy. We know it's not like that in certain ways, but it does belong to that genus. It's a doctrine. But it's not just any doctrine. We can say, yes, it's the doctrine of God, but that is not enough. It's more specifically the doctrine of living for God. And this shows what the very purpose of this theology is. We read it already in 2 Timothy 4.2. He is not just to instruct, but to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, which is naturally about the life. People are to respond to this doctrine, not simply take it in with their heads. They are meant to live according to it. In this same book, 2 Timothy, just a few verses before, this is the purpose of the Bible itself, which if I came back, I'd in my second class, prove to you that it is the rule of theology, the Bible. Listen to what Paul says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's useful for this end. This is the purpose it's given for. For doctrine. Good so far. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in 
righteousness. To what end? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You see, it is a doctrine, but it's a doctrine that aims at the life. Not just the outward life of action, though that's how it concludes, unto all good works. But beginning with the life of the heart. It's a doctrine for the whole life of the whole man. We could go to many places in Scripture to underline this, but one place in which, from which we've taken this phrase, living for God, is Romans 6, verse 10. It's speaking of Christ, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, I've chosen to describe it as for God. Unto God will be appropriate. It's like we're facing God in all our life. But for God shows the purpose for which we live and the one for whom we live. All things are devoted to him and for his glory. That's the life that theology teaches. Now, I've added, really, then Maastricht has added, and I've agreed with him, through Christ. On its own, it would be enough to say that it's the doctrine of living for God. But through Christ emphasizes that there is only one way to live for God, and that's through Christ. As Christ himself made very clear, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This needs to be laid down at the very beginning of any system of theological doctrine. We are not speaking about God in general or in the abstract. I suppose you can say we are, but not only that. We are speaking about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and the God to whom we cannot come, especially as sinners, except through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Including this in the very definition of theology makes it clear to the theologian and to all who would hear how you must respond, first of all, to what you're taught about God. You need to believe in Christ. You must, if you even want to live for God, come through Christ. For as Christ himself says in John 15, apart from me, ye can do nothing. So it's the doctrine of living for God through Christ. Any questions for understanding of this definition before we bring it to application? Does this make sense to you? What's the difference between reproof and correction? That's a good question. So the way I've taken it in 2 Timothy is that when he says that Scripture is profitable for doctrine and reproof, those are chiefly intellectual. So the doctrine would be positive teaching and reproof would be refuting of error. But then correction and instruction start negative and then positive regarding the life. So it would be more a question of your will than your intellect. And God, you can say our soul is in, has two main things, main faculties, intellect, understanding, will, or affections in action. And God addresses both. In his word. Yeah. Michael, this is more of a comment than a, than a question. Uh, 
at least weekly, if not uh, daily, we have to deal with the fact that people do not rely on the Bible alone. And so whenever someone refers to this scripture or think about it, it enables us to be complete, uh, thoroughly equipped. It's sufficient. Yes. We don't need voices. We don't need other scriptures. We don't need anything else except God's word. And the only authority higher than God's word is God himself who wrote his word. That's right. Thank you for adding that. I have this uh, problem with one friend who has been told that they are about miscommunicating or about something specific. Mm. And also a sister who is convinced that you need to hear an audible voice of God because that one's familiar to what you believe. According to Scripture, it says yeah, it's... you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can grow up towards Christ. That's right. You said that that can't be enough. That's like well, and what does Scripture say about communicating with the dead? condemns it greatly. The one example it gives it gives to us of it is Saul communicating with, it seems, Samuel, but I'm persuaded it's a demon because he says, today you'll be with me. It's a very sober thing to think about. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And every false religion has its own form of theology. But we have to say from the beginning that that's false. A theology without Christ is not worthy of the name. Well, that's true because the person who's communicating with my friend about claiming that their husband's talking is a Mormon. They're polytheists. Right. I told her, I said, No, I'm glad you said that. That's good. Yes, and just as a preview of what could come later, you speak about the sufficiency of Scripture, Mark. We don't deny that there are other helps to learning besides simply reading the Bible. Christ himself has appointed the ministry of the Word. And he's given us reason, and reason looks at nature, and the Bible itself tells us we can learn some things about God from nature. Not everything, but his eternal power, his Godhead are clearly perceived. But what then is the rule that alone is sufficient? It's scripture. And infallible. And infallible. That's right. That's right. Yes. Good. Well, two simple points of application, right from the definition. If theology is doctrine, then we have a duty to learn it. God wants to teach us. The question for you then is, do you want to learn? If he wrote you a book and gave you a ministry to use that book for teaching, for reproof, for correct, correction, for instruction in righteousness, are you willing to receive it? This is a very urgent question because if the Bible is not doing those things in your life, you are abusing it. That's the purpose God gave it for. And if you are not being taught, not being corrected, rebuked, instructed, you're abusing the Bible. It's that simple. You're abusing the discipline of theology, to put it in a more scientific way. It's a good example. That's right. Yeah. I want to give you an exhortation from 2 Corinthians 10.5. 
How does Paul speak about the discipline of learning theology? It's warfare, he says. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Hear that. This is what it should be like in your life as you submit your mind and your will to God. Warfare. Killing error. Killing sin. And taking every single thought captive to obey Christ. This should help you beat your flesh and its excuses. The Christian faith is in a certain sense like being in school. And it's not easy. It's hard to our flesh to sit in the desk and learn from Christ. But we shouldn't make that an excuse not to learn. It's hard to be always reading the Word of God. It's hard to be always reading other good books. The best books challenge us the most, and that's one reason that they're the best. We should submit to that challenge. Now, we all have different intellectual gifts and abilities, and God knows that, and there's no shame in that. But to the level of your own gifts, you ought to be investing them to learn as much as you can about Christ and about his word. And the books we call theology or devotional books are a great help to that end. I'd recommend it after you've already established an excellent and regular pattern of reading the scriptures themselves. But the exhortation is apply your mind to learn theology. And then second, having learned, you must live. God did not write his Bible. Theologians do not write their theology. And preachers do not preach theology to you practically so that you can just listen and go on your way. If you love your soul and if you love the Lord, don't do that. You will have to give an account for every sermon you've heard and every book you've read on the last day. What account will you give? Is there fruit in your life to show that you have learned rightly the things of God. Christ said when he was washing the disciples' feet, if ye know these things, blessed are ye if ye do them. Would Christ then approve your life? Would your wife, husband, friend, brother, sister, looking at your life be able to say with sincerity, I can see that his theological study has made him a more faithful Christian. That's what it ought to do. And so test your life in that way and go forth and learn and live. We can come to a stop there. Are there any questions? A little longer okay. Be another five minutes. Okay, let me draw out then one way to underline this. When will the great revealing of our theological study be? When is the final exam in God's class of theology? It's the last day. Think about what you know from the scriptures about how the last day, the last judgment in particular, will be exercised. What will be the criteria? Can you think, for example, of one place in the scripture 
where we are told that Christ will ask us which books we've read. No. Now, I don't deny that reading good books of theology and devotion can be good works that will be rewarded. I wouldn't discourage you from it. But Christ doesn't tell us that he'll be focusing particularly on that. Are we told that we will, there will be a test of orthodoxy, a written exam regarding the persons of the Trinity or the two natures of Christ or the exact relation between justification and sanctification? Like a licensure exam. Are we, we're not told this. Now, again, I wouldn't diminish the necessity even of learning those things to the best of your ability for the glory of Christ and for the good of your own soul. To be mistaken in theology is a harm to you in your doctrine and your living. But what's the fruit? What's the end? It's the life. So, for example, when the shepherd comes and divides the sheep and the goats, what will be the criterion? It's, did you love me? Jesus says, in my brethren. This is not some left-wing communist uh, utopia in which the poor, just because they're poor, are better. That's not what Christ is saying. In fact, he'll throw many poor into the lake of fire. He's saying, when you saw me in need, in my brethren, did you serve me? This is asking in particular, how did people treat Christians? Do you have the love of the brethren? Is another way to put it. And you know the Apostle John, he puts it that way in his letters. This needs to be the end of our theology. Doctrine is important, but it's unto living. It's for living. Practical theology. And this helps us understand that practical theology may be a discipline, rightly understood, a portion of theology, but it's also properly a description of the whole task of theology. And wouldn't this improve the seminary education commonly given today? If every single class, every single assignment, every single instruction was aimed toward the end of living for God through Christ. I mean, it makes most the most sense that ministers especially would be in that way prepared for the final exam that Christ himself will give. Well, I could go on for a while, but I think we can stop there. Very helpful. Thank you, brother. Good. You're welcome.